I'm Tavis Smiley. This is KBLA Talk 1580. I see what you did there, Miles Lowe. I see what you did there. <laughs> uh, send me forget-me-nots. Uh, I'll tell you why that's so cute in just a second. In this hour, a conversation about taking the proper steps right now to boost your short and long-term brain health. You get it? Uh, I know you get it. What are the things that set super agers apart from people with weak memory skills? Send me forget-me-nots. How do you curate an age-proof brain? Joined in this hour by internationally renowned brain health expert, Dr. Mark Milstein, who will download us on new strategies to improve memory, protect immunity, and fight off dementia. We can all use this conversation, and I am delighted to have one of his international stature as a guest in this hour. Dr. Milstein, good to have you on. How are you, sir? Oh, thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks so much for having me here. I'm, I'm happy to be here. No, I'm glad to have you. Thank you for the hour. A lot to unpack uh, regarding uh, uh, this new book, The Age-Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory, Protect Immunity, and Fight Off Dementia. I often start conversations by asking questions like these because I'm fascinated uh, by the study of the brain. Uh, what uh, what turned you on to this as uh, as as your vocation, your calling all these years ago? Well, I think it, it was, but one thing was is that we were learning so much about how the brain worked and how to make it work better. Mm-hmm. Really, there was a revolution in our understanding of things that, People could do, I like to say, little things that make a big impact. So, for example, we're learning about how to optimize your sleep based upon or improve your memory. So I think the this idea that the research is showing us actionable steps that we can take that are really science-based and that they work, that's what got me so excited about getting this information out to people. Mm-hmm. Um, how would you um, frame, how, would you, how do you regard, um, speaking of science, uh, the ways in which over the years of your doing this, we have learned so much more, it seems to me, about the way the brain works. Yeah, absolutely. And so one of the key messages is that we have so much more hope now about things that we can do. You know, just a couple of years ago, for example, when it comes to things like memory loss, dementia, Alzheimer's, we really have things that we could say, oh, if you do these things, you can lower your risk of developing dementia or Alzheimer's. But now we know that based upon some lifestyle factors, we can lower risk significantly, anywhere from 30 to 60%. So that that has been a huge jump forward in our understanding and our, our, our hope about how we can really protect people's brains short term and long term. Mm-hmm. So I, I used this phrase a moment ago, and I got this phrase, of course, from you. Uh, it's it's in your work, uh, super agers, and we're going to make a distinction over this hour between super agers and people who age but also have weak memory skills. Uh, when you say uh, super agers, when you use that term, unpack that for starters, and we'll we'll jump from there. Yeah, definitely. So super agers are this this group of people who are anywhere from their seventies, eighties, nineties up to a hundred. And if you test their memory, they have the memory skills of somebody who's decades younger. And in some cases, uh, there's there's people in this group that have the memory of somebody who's 25 years old. Mm. So it's pretty amazing. Mm. Um, so we're trying to understand, and there's these really fascinating studies to determine, you know, what are their secrets? And what we realize, it's not just genes. It's, their, it's not just their genetics. It's not things that they've inherited. That plays a part. That's a piece of the puzzle. But there's much more control over this than we thought and things that we can do. Mm-hmm. Is there a particular profile of these super agers? I mean, g- give me some sense of, uh, I- I've got the characteristics that you're talking about, but I'm just trying to, sen- uh, trying to get a better understanding if, if, if there's a, a profile of who we're talking about here. 
Well, there's some characteristics that they have in common. And right. one is that they, they tend to be lifelong learners. Okay. They tend to be uh, people who are really learning new things, challenging their brain. Um, and that seems to be a common thread. And that gives us a lot of insight into things that we can do. Mm-hmm. And by lifelong learners, you mean what? I mean, people who read all the time, do crossword puzzles. What do you mean by lifelong? They, they take classes, uh, they audit classes. What do you mean by lifelong learners? Yeah, definitely. So it's, it doesn't have to be a crossword puzzle. You know, what we always think, oh, it's crossword puzzles or the Sudoku or the brain games, but really it's new information. So it could be a new class. It could be a book, uh, a podcast. The key thing that we're seeing is that there's something really important about new information. The brain new things. It makes new connections uh, between our brain cells. And as we get older, we can lose those connections. So by learning new information, we put new connections back in. And so it's kind of like a bank account. You know, when, when there's withdrawals, you notice the withdrawals. But if you keep putting deposits in like new connections, you don't notice those withdrawals as much. And so that it, it really seems to be just pick something that you're interested in that's outside of your field of expertise. It could be a foreign language, a musical instrument. Uh, it could be a sport. But a part of this is that make it things that you enjoy and also have some variety. You know, we like to say cross-train your brain. You Mm. wouldn't go to the gym and just work out. Part of this is learn something mentally challenging, something physically challenging, like, you know, go dancing. Dancing is actually really good for the brain. Mm -hmm. It's mental, it's physical, and also be social. That's what we're learning is that just meeting a friend for coffee, having a conversation, um, picking up the phone, if, you, if you're reading a new book, talk about it, engage with the book, a book club. This is what we're talking about. It, it's, it doesn't have to be a fancy brain game. You don't have to download anything, you know, something on your phone. It's really just about new information, embracing it and talking about it and being engaged. Just getting started in this hour uh, in conversation with Dr. Mark Milstein, one of the uh, the world's foremost experts in uh, brain health. His new book is called The Age-Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory protect immunity and fight off dementia. We're going to talk throughout this hour about how you can become a super ager if you uh, start boosting your short and long-term brain health significantly and lower the risk of dementia right now. There are steps you can take right now to do that. We'll talk a great deal more about that. Glad I've got him for the hour. You're listening to Dr. Mark Milstein on KBLA Talk 1580. We've got a lot to talk about. Good thing we've got three hours. More of Tavis Smiley when we come forward. This is KBLA Talk 1580, where hate loses and love wins. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Mark Milstein. His new book is called The Age-Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory, Protect Immunity, and Fight Off Dementia. Uh, You were saying before that break, Dr. Milstein, that one of the ways that we can start to boost our short and long-term brain health uh, is to become lifelong learners. We We were talking about that a moment ago. And um, one of the things you said was that we should try to make ourselves an expert in something beyond what we already know. And that took me back to, ooh, when I was 21 or 22, I was at a conference, and a conference with, in fact, Coretta Scott King, who I remember fondly. And one of the leaders in the movement, um, along with Dr. King, uh, was a man named Bernard Lafayette, who's still living. And Bernard Lafayette was saying to a group of us young student leaders from across the country uh, then, in my early 20s, that was 30 years ago, was saying to me then, uh, those of us in this room, that we should start the process right now. He was saying to us, 
uh, to become an expert in something outside of our field of interest. He said, you will not uh, ever uh, come to really appreciate how much better off you're going to be as your career unfolds uh, by making yourself an expert in a field outside of that which you are already studying. I never forgot that advice. Started working on that myself in my early 20s. And I can say now there are a few areas outside of broadcast that I'm fairly well versed in. Um, but tell me why that is so uh, so important uh, as one of the ways to boost our short and long-term brain health. Yeah, that's great. And so what we're seeing is that it, it's not just one thing, but this, this learning new information is important. And as we get older, part of what we're seeing is that our brain makes waste and, and byproducts. And basically we're calling this brain trash. And as it fills mm-hmm. up in our brain, we have to get rid of it. Have to move it. And as we get older, that process can be less efficient. And so getting a good night's sleep helps you get rid of this waste. We can talk about that. But just mm-hmm. actually learning something new actually helps uh, a chemical in the brain called norepinephrine be released. And it's almost like you, know, you power wash your, your garage, your backyard. Imagine spraying your brain with this chemical. You're actually washing and keeping your brain clean by learning new information. And the key, is, the key is newness, new information. You know, we, there's nothing wrong with practicing information we already know or getting better at a song on the piano that, that we've, we've learned, but a new song or new information or a new, new language, that newness releases that chemical that we believe it washes it. And I know it's an interesting way to think about it, but we want to keep our brain youthful. And one of, that way, one of the ways that we do that is by keeping it clean and removing this byproducts of this waste and this garbage that fills up. Yep. When you say brain trash, I hear you, but un- unpack for that me, unpack for me in the audience what that what is. What is this brain trash that our brain uh, creates? Yeah, exactly. So what happens is that the brain's about three pounds, and every year it makes five pounds of waste and garbage and trash, and it's a byproduct of. Think of your brain cells like little factories. You've got 80 billion brain cells, so 80 billion little factories. Mm-hmm. They make products, which is like a connection every time you learn something new. That's what we want. Like if they make byproducts, so chemical reactions in the brain have these byproducts, and it's just waste, leftover parts of these reactions that build up, and that build up, we need to remove it, and again, as we get older, it's harder or it's less efficient to remove it, and just like a house or an apartment can be filled up with trash or waste, and it's harder Thing, or get things done or focus, same thing in our brain. So we want to be doing things to keep our brain clean. Um, and also the other thing that we realize is that our own immune system can incorrectly attack our brain cells and actually turn them from functioning brain cells into basically useless trash. I know that it's hard to, it, it's a bit shocking to hear that, but that's also why the book is about keeping your immune system in check, inflammation low, keeping all these things balanced. And we realize it's these multiple factors that we want to be aware of to, to keep the brain clean, to keep it, uh, slow down the aging process and really keep it functioning for as long as possible. Yep. The, the one thing I, I am, I was saying to somebody yesterday, in fact, um, the, the older I get and the more I do this, uh, and I've been at this for you know some a few decades now, being a, a broadcast personality, as you may know, on television and radio. Um, but th- as long as I've been in this game, I've heard this, and I keep hearing it more and more with the people that I that I interview and have the honor to be in conversation with. And that is this notion of the value of sleep. Um, it just yep. seems to me that we've learned a great deal more in the 30 years that I've been doing this about the the the, the importance. Uh, of getting sleep. And here you come telling me now that one of the ways we wash that brain trash uh, out uh, is to get more sleep. So I'm not surprised by that, but I'm wondering if you'll take some time to just unpack, unpack for me in the audience, 
um, the value of, of, of sleep vis-a-vis uh, -vis, uh, short and long-term brain health. Yeah, absolutely. And you're right. It's, it's sleep is basically like our superpower. Yeah. It's something we can take <laughs> control of to, to really help our, our, uh, our brain health. And we now know we have this breakthrough that when you go to sleep tonight, your brain inside your skull is essentially going to shrink down to about 65% of its current size. I know that sounds like a horror movie, but your brain <laughs> is shrinking. It's like, it's like squeezing out like a sponge, all this trash, waste, and garbage. This and then fluid comes up from your spinal cord and you wash this trash away. So every night you give yourself a squeeze to squeeze out the waste that just builds up as part of being alive. And then you wash it away. And, you know, if we don't get a good night's sleep and you wake up and you have that kind of foggy feeling, part of what that is, is this buildup of this waste in the brain. So we want ourselves every opportunity to get the best night's sleep so that we can keep our brain clean and protect it short-term and long-term. We can absolutely talk about some tips some tips there because we've, we've learned based upon how our brain works how to make that process as effective as possible because we really want to be getting that good brainwash every night. Yep, let's, let's do those tips now. I don't want to get too far away from it while we're talking about it. So give me the tips for how to um, help uh, wash that brain trash away. Yeah, absolutely. So I have a whole chapter in the book dedicated to it because it's so important. Mm -hmm. But two things that are really, really important, and it's a bit surprising, is in the morning, we if you can get outside for a few minutes into natural sunlight, you actually help your brain fall asleep at night. And it sounds so simple. But, you know, in the last couple of years, we've either been spending more time at home or we jump in a car, we commute, we jump, we get on the bus, you know, subways. We're missing out on some outside time in the morning. Just it's the study suggests it's about 10 minutes and there's this clock in the brain that actually sets like almost like a countdown mm -hmm. time. We get outside in the morning, give ourselves that little bit of natural light. It actually helps us fall asleep that night. So it's interesting that there's something we do in the morning that helps us sleep that night. It's not all about just, you know, five minutes before bed. Um, so something really simple is just giving yourself a little bit more natural light. And the second thing is that you know, hold, 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 I'm yeah. sorry. I'm sorry. I, I'm going to cut you yeah, off. Of course. That, that is so important. Yeah, to me. Yeah. I, and I, I apologize for the, the interruption here. As, as we, as they say, pardon, no, no, of course. Pardon, no, no, pardon the interruption. Yeah. <laughs> happy to discuss. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah but I'm, I'm fascinated. So I, I, I hear you telling us to go outside for 10 minutes in the morning and that the, the brain sort of, sort of sets a clock and it knows to wind down later that night. But what is it about the sunlight? What is it about being outside? What is it, what is it about that 10 minutes? it's outside that makes the difference yeah exactly so what happens is is that there's this this discovery actually in part part of this won the nobel prize so mm -hmm. you basically have this little bit of this clump of brain cells size the size of a head of a pin uh, it's called your brain clock or super when it's when it's in the presence of light it starts basically a countdown process mm -hmm. and it releases all the chemicals and hormones that help you with your metabolism. It helps your mood. Uh, it also helps this countdown for sleep. So our brain, it's part of the circadian rhythm that we hear about, mm -hmm. but our brain is really tied to light and dark. You know, our brain evolved over, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands of years with light and dark. And now in our modern world, you know, we might not be getting out as much in the morning. And then that other part is what's happening in our bedrooms at night. I mean, especially in the hour before bed with all these devices mm -hmm. that, actually mimic some sunlight. They look a lot like sunlight to our brain, the screens. And it can cause our brain into thinking that it's daytime, and then our brain has a hard time or a harder time falling asleep or staying asleep. So it, our brain is really tuned to light and dark. And although it sounds so simple, if we take a step back and think about our modern world, it can be really easy to be spending less time outside, or especially in the morning, and less 
in darkness at night or the hour before bed because, you know, the, the use of all these devices that are, you know, they're fun and they're useful yeah. and they, they have their good qualities, but they also can in, they can play a role in having a negative impact on sleep. Yep. Now, forgive me, it's the talk show host to me that loves to know the why. I, I heard the I heard the the, the the advice, but I'm I'm always fascinated yeah. by the why, and so I wanted to know why. Yeah, that, yeah of course. Yeah, you know, why that ten minutes makes a difference. Okay, I'm sorry, I cut you off. The second point you were yeah, about yeah. to make, I'm sorry. Oh no, no, that's good because the why is so important, um, and because otherwise the tip sounds like oh, you know morning light, big deal. But mm-hmm. when we see the science behind it, uh, that's when it really becomes much more powerful. So I'm glad you brought that up. Yep. So you, I, you, this is at nighttime. Yeah, go ahead. No, no, I'm sorry. I, you, I, you, I, wanted you, I didn't want you to forget that second tip you were about to give me, but go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, yeah. The, the, the second tip is that same brain clock. What it's releasing at night to help you fall asleep is melatonin. And the way that your brain releases melatonin is by being in the dark. And those devices, phones, the, the, the tablets, the, the light they emit looks just like the sun. It's something called blue light. And the brain says, oh, it's daytime, and it doesn't let your brain release melatonin. And so that can keep you from falling asleep. That's the science behind it. And if we go back to the morning, then morning light in the morning actually helps shut off the melatonin, helping your brain start countdown. So we're on this cycle. And so that's why um, we would just want to try our best to stay on it with these little tips. Mm-hmm. Earlier in our conversation, Dr. Milstein used this phrase, which jumped out at me, and I love it. And again, it's in, it's in your, you talk about this in your book as well. You discuss all this stuff in your book, which is why I have you on. I, that, that goes without saying. Uh, but this notion of cross-training our brain, um, unpack yeah. that for me. Yeah, so the idea behind cross-training your brain is that you want to think about different varieties of activities for your brain. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, a common question I always get asked is, I do crossword puzzles. Is that is, like crossword puzzles, keep doing them. It can have some benefit. You don't have to do a crossword puzzle if that's not the thing for you. But think about your brain is like your body, and different parts of your brain become active when you use them, and the brain is actually use it or lose it. So if we don't keep parts of our brain engaged, we, they, can, they can atrophy or they can get weaker. So, for example, that's why we want to do things like play sports or dance or, or yoga or ballet or Pilates because, for example, balance. Balance is something that we see that as we get older, if our balance gets, uh, gets weaker or not as strong, the brain ages. And as kids, we tend to do things that are much more engaged with our balance. We, you know, we run around, we jump around, we stand on one leg. As we get older, we, we don't do those things as much. So we just want to take time during the week and think of that. That's way to, one way to cross-train your brain. Mm-hmm. Do something physical. Do something that trains your brain physically. Something that's a little bit, you know, it's fun, but make it a little bit challenging. Yeah. Then also, as we talked about before, learn something new, foreign language, musical instrument. And then the last thing is that we see that people who attend dinner parties, for example, they have a lower risk of memory loss. And it's not really just about the dinner party. It's about learning, listening, being engaged. And then also one last piece here, we're we're learning there's underlying factors. For example, hearing loss. If someone has hearing loss, they have an increased risk of memory loss. But if you just treat the hearing loss with something like a hearing aid, all that risk, and that's really what we're talking about, is how do we lower risk for memory loss? Mm-hmm. If we can treat the hearing loss with something like a hearing aid, all ends to way. And if we're, if we're listening, if we're hearing, we're learning new things, we're engaged. So it's this cross-training of just having this engagement throughout the week and saying, you know, one day of the week, I'm going to learn something new. I'm going to take a new class. I'm going to listen to a podcast. I'm going to do a book of the month. I'm going to attend a talk, anything like that. Second day of the week, I'm going to do something physical, aerobics, dance. 
ballet, Pilates, yoga, anything, sports, pickleball is taking over the country. That's because, you know, <laughs> anything like that is great. And then the third thing is make sure you take time to reach out and, and, and feel connected or engaged. We're seeing that feeling lonely or isolated actually increases the risk of dementia. And it's understanding time in the last couple of years. Our mental health is part of our brain health. Yeah. We want to be on top of these things and being engaged. And, 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 you know, you don't have to be surrounded by people, but we want to feel connected in some way. That answer you just gave to how to cross-train our brain has raised more questions to me, which I'll ask when we come forward after news, traffic, and sports. But in 45 seconds prior to that, let me ask you right quick. I think I get it. You mentioned dancing a couple of times. Uh, if, if the balance part of dancing is, is how uh, dancing helps our brain, then I get it. Am I missing something about that, though, about why dancing is so good for brain health? Yeah. Yeah. So we have these lists of things that we know are good for brain health. They are learning new things. Dancing involves learning new steps. Right. Okay. Physical, uh, stress relief, social. It involves hearing. So it hits a, it's a big bang for your buck activity. It It hits a lot of things on that list. So if you like to dance, (laughs) embrace it. If you don't want to dance, think about playing a sport or something like that. I'm going dancing tonight. Um, meet me. uh, I'm just teasing. Uh, maybe I, maybe I will. Maybe I should. <laughs> I didn't know. Who, who knew that dancing could do all that for your brain? See, this is why you listen to KBLA Talk for today. You learn things that you otherwise wouldn't know. Our guest in this hour is Dr. Mark Milstein. His book is called The Age-Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory, Protect Immunity, and Fight Off Dementia. More with him after news, traffic, and sports. You're listening to KBLA Talk 1580. Find a righteous range, and don't be afraid to say what you see. For KBLA Talk 1580. Dr. Mark Milstein, I knew this conversation would hit a nerve, and I, I'm, I'm just tickling because I'm laughing because I, I was tickled, and I'll share some with you in just a second here. Uh, I'm just checking out all the posts on our socials, uh, and even personal messages that I'm receiving. Uh, Dr. Milstein um, uh, is the author of the new book, The Age Proof Brain. Uh, the age-proof brain, new strategies to improve memory, protect immunity, and fight off dementia. Uh, before I share some of these uh, messages I've been getting here, I, I get a chance at the bottom of the hour. I have about a six-minute break at the bottom of the hour, as you know, because you just sat through it. So with sports and news and traffic, I've got, I've got about six minutes, which is the longest break I have in any hour of this program. And that's when I get a chance oftentimes to just check what's, what people are saying about the show, about the conversation on our various social platforms, uh, social media platforms. Uh, so before I share with you, um, I, I suspect you so used to this now you you don't get surprised anymore but it must be awfully uh awfully fun for you to present on this subject around the world all the time because clearly this this conversation about uh improving brain nobody wants to get alzheimer's nobody wants dementia nobody wants to take care of somebody with dementia alzheimer's we all want to uh, live as long as we can live and have our brains function at at at, you know at, at prime in prime form for as long as we can. So I guess you're not surprised that when you have these conversations that people really, really get into these things. Well, I think that we all, exactly what you said, we all want to do the things that can protect our brain, protect the, the, our loved one's brains. And so the conversation now has become so much more hopeful because we have things that we can do to lower risk. And that's really what it's all about is how do we try to push the odds in our favor? Um, and it's by putting together these little lifestyle tips, these little things that can have a, have a big impact. Yeah. Uh, you'd be tickled by some of this stuff. So I'm just going to share this cause it's kind of funny <laughs> to me. Um, so first of all, my brother, I have a brother, I have, I have nine brothers and sisters and I love them all. And they listen to this program. Most of them back in Indiana. Uh, they listen on the app, uh, KBLA 1580. So download the app. As I say every day, you can hear us anywhere in the world in real time. 
my brother Durwin and my sister-in-law Leah uh, run a business together called the Society for Diversity, the foremost um, diversity organization in the country at training companies and individuals on the issue of diversity, uh, equity and inclusion. And uh, he was just texting me saying, I've been telling Leah Tavis I need more sleep. I need to work less. Now I have scientific proof to back me up. Please thank Dr. Milstein. That's from my uh, my, my brother Durbin. So a personal thank you from him, uh, Doobie, as we call him. I have a friend of mine named Tyra, who's a major uh, uh, producer of the top number, the number one uh, morning show uh, in Chicago. And she says, I love this advice going outside for 10 minutes, but that doesn't work for folk who get up in the dark <laughs> to, do, <laughs> to go yeah. to work. So any advice for Tyra, Dr. Milstein? Yes, yes. So it's okay if you wake up before the sun comes up. But when the sun does come up, think about getting outside for a few minutes, taking that quick break, which is really good for your brain. Um, if, if you remember, you know, at certain times of the year, understandably, it's too cold. Getting by a window can be good. There's also these things called light boxes, which can mimic um, the sunlight in the morning for people as well. That's become mainstream medicine to help people sleep. Um, but it's okay to wake up before the sun comes up, but when the sun does come up, think about giving yourself that little dose of light. There you go, Tyra. Uh, one of my colleagues here, uh, talk show host on the weekends, uh, shows the show called The Backstory, Michelle Duffy. So she's trying to get me right now, Dr. Milstein, to organize uh, an outing for all of our uh, colleagues here to go dancing one night at the station. Her argument is that if anybody needs brain health, it's talk show host. So we should all go dancing one night. So now I'm getting pressure to organize a, an outing for all of my team here uh, to go dancing one night. And this is a question uh, from one of our listeners who says, um, uh, please ask Dr. Milstein if there's any evidence that the replacement of social interaction with texting is adversely impacting brain health. So there you go, Doc. Oh, that's a really good question. So, you know, these devices, the texting, they can be good. So if it's a way to reach out and it's a way to connect, we want to do it. But there actually was a study a few months ago that found that people felt better, less stressed when they actually picked up the phone and they made a phone call and they heard the person's voice. You know, as human beings, there's something about the sound of someone's voice so really the take home is, is that a text can be a great way to reach out and connect. But if you want to go step one step further, there is some evidence that, you know, making that quick phone call, having that connection and, you know, when we can and it's safe to do, we want to also have some in-person interaction, too. So it's thinking about having a variety of these these interactions with people and, and what's the they all can be good. But think about mixing them up as well. Yeah. As I listened, as I have listened to you over the course of this hour, which I'm just delighted to have you on uh, this program. So thank you for accepting our invitation. As I've listened to what oh, you fine. said so far, Dr. Milstein, um, it seems to me that whether or not there's evidence to prove this or not, just based on your research, the pandemic had to do a great deal of harm to our short and long term mm -hmm. brain health. Just given all the things you said about getting outside, about being social, about listening and learning and being engaged with other people, about not being isolated, about not being lonely, all the things you've already laid out. The pandemic is the perfect storm for all those things. That's what we're concerned about. So we want to take these actions now. Uh, we do know that over the last two, two and a half years, the rates of depression, anxiety have gone up significantly. And we now know that if those conditions aren't treated or managed, they can actually increase the risk of memory loss down the road. Um, so what we want to do is we want to get the message out and the word out that we want to treat not only uh, mental health today and, and prioritize it and do all the things that we're talking about because it does impact our long-term brain health. So that, that's, that's exactly what you said is correct. We want to get this, we want to have this conversation, we want to talk about 
blacks. Yeah. Um, I'm going to go back to this notion of uh, uh, being lonely and being isolated and how that uh, diminishes uh, our good uh, uh, brain health, uh, short term and long term. Uh, and I don't mean to equate these two, but I, I, uh, I live alone. Uh, and so uh, I am oftentimes by myself, oftentimes isolated, to use the word that you use. I'm wondering whether or not there's any evidence that suggests that those of us who live alone, those of us who tend to be more isolated, we're not. I mean, I grew. Which is, here's the irony for me. I grew up, as I said a moment ago, I grew up with nine brothers and sisters, my mother, my father and my grandmother, big mama. So I grew up in a house with 13 people. So I grew up having no privacy. I was never alone. There was no isolation. There was no time to be lonely. There was no space to be lonely. Fast forward, you know, now I live alone. And I'm wondering whether or not there's any evidence that suggests that, to your point, being alone, being isolated, if that does impact our uh, our shortened long-term brain health, is there evidence that suggests that living with a family, living with others, is better for brain health than being alone, being single? Well, yeah, that's a great question. What we do see is that where is your comfort level? So somebody could be surrounded by people and still feel lonely, mm-hmm. and people can be alone sure, and sure. not feel lonely at all. Sure, sure. And so what we really want people to be aware of is just take that that time and think about, you know, how am I feeling? If I'm if I'm feeling like I'm not with people and I'm I'm isolated, then we want to think of that almost like if you had physical pain and you would say, you know, I need to go do something about this physical pain. Loneliness is a is a feeling that we want to listen to and we want to say, you know, we want to connect with people. If, if it's a text, if it's a phone call, if it's a, a Zoom meeting or a Zoom, not a Zoom meeting, but a Zoom call, mm-hmm. um, or it's going out and meeting up and having, you know, just watching a, a game together or whatever it is, we want to listen to those signals and not ignore them and say, wait a second, I'm feeling a bit lonely. I need to go take some action and do these things. On the other hand, people can be surrounded by people and still feel lonely. And then we want to think about, okay, which which are the ways that we can address that? Maybe yeah. sometimes it's being around different people or or finding the right meaningful interactions. Maybe it's a sense of purpose, mentoring. Um, those interactions tend to make people feel um, so that just taking those 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 assessments and saying what are the you know the actions I can take to address these feelings I'm having if someone is having them. Yep, this is a perfect place I think to pivot to a couple of other things that you write about in your book: the age-proof brain, new strategies to improve memory, protect immunity, and fight off dementia. One of those things I think again perfect time to pivot to it right now. This notion of increasing energy and boosting our moods. Can you say a word about that? Yeah. So what we realize is that. Our day-to-day mood, our energy, how we're feeling is related to our short-term and long-term brain health. And part of that, you know, I don't want to leave this conversation without mentioning this, is that part of that is conditions. So diabetes, uh, heart disease, uh, those conditions, along with what's happening in our gut, they impact how we feel each day. But they also, if they're not treated, they increase the risk of memory loss down the road. Mm. Now, the really good news is we have really good treatments for these conditions. And so we want to think that part of protecting our brain is what's happening from the neck down. And we want to treat those conditions because we clearly see that if we can be on top of those conditions, we increase our mood, our energy. You know, with every beat of your heart, you're sending oxygen to your brain. Even little dips in oxygen, if our heart's not functioning properly, we don't feel as good that it's our focus, our productivity, but it's also damaging those brain cells long term. And again, we just keep coming back to the theme, which is we want to address the things that we can treat really, really well and, and in most cases quite easily. Mm-hmm. So we want to be on top of blood pressure, heart health, uh, diabetes, and gut health. 
and what's happening in those areas because again those are the those are the roads <laughs> to protect yeah. the brain since you uh, since he teed it up when we come forward i'll come right back to this next issue of how we go about reducing the risk of anxiety and depression uh, which would uh, help boost our short and long-term brain health how do we reduce the risk of anxiety and depression more with our guest in this hour so pleased to have him dr mark milstein you're listening to kbla talk 1580 be sure to like and follow Tavis Smiley at The Real Tavis Smiley and get Twitter updates at Tavis Smiley. The conversation continues when we come forward. forward. Conversations that matter. matter. You're listening to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. Dr. Mark Milstein's new book is called The Age Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory, Protect Immunity, and Fight Off Dementia. It is, uh, trust me on this, uh, it's science-driven, of course, but it, uh, the book is written uh, in a very entertaining, motivating, and easy-to-follow sort of guide. Uh, great Christmas gift, uh, holiday gifts. I, I, I highly recommend it. It's uh, very easy to, to work your way through. Oftentimes, we get intimidated by books about science and the like. But this one will not intimidate you or any person you give it to as a gift. It's a, it's a great read and a lot of good information in it. And obviously, uh, we can all benefit from it. So I'm delighted to have him in conversation uh, in this hour. Um, you, you kind of mentioned this earlier, Dr. Milstein, but I'm, I'm wondering uh, the ways in which we have been surprised in this hour about the brain's surprising connection to the rest of our body. Yeah, absolutely. And that that is the key thing is that we want to be aware that there are these powerful connections with our heart health, um, with our, our blood pressure. Uh, we see that individuals who have blood pressure that's in normal ranges, their brain looks more youthful, it's more protected even decades later. Mm. Um, we, we're aware that our, if someone has diabetes, for example, and it's not treated effectively, it raises their risk of memory loss about 60%. But if we treat the diabetes effectively, that risk comes all the way back down. And so what we realize is that these underlying conditions are driving some of the memory loss that we're seeing. And so we want to have this conversation. We want to be aware of it. We want to be treating these things effectively because they are some of the most powerful things we can do to really protect our brain short-term and long-term. We've been talking throughout this hour about, as you put it, little things that can make a big impact. How do we go about reducing the risk of anxiety and depression? I think, you know, that's such a good point. One thing is, is that, I wanted to say before we, we, we're out of time is that you having these conversations is appreciate because the first thing we have to do is lessen the stigma so that we can talk about mental health, anxiety, mm-hmm. depression. We really don't want people suffering in silence. That's the first step. The second thing is to be aware that these feelings can be normal in, the, in these times and there's things that we can do. It's not always just one thing. It's not a, a one, you know, one action that's the solution, but even the things that we've talked about, optimizing our sleep, getting some exercise, being more, so, being more engaged socially, but then also having a conversation with a professional, a therapist, and getting to the root problem and being, being understanding that in these times there are some things, um, you know, transitioning from the pandemic to the states that we're in now, um, what's happening in our news cycle politically, all these things can be absolutely driving fe- feelings of, of depression, anxiety, understandably. Um, it doesn't mean it's the only thing, but really taking a step back for the individual and saying, you know, having, talking about it. The first step is we need to talk. We need to have the conversation to be of getting to what are the root causes for that individual. Sometimes it's some physical things. Sometimes it's emotional. Sometimes it's mental. Sometimes it's a combination of all three. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, we really want to get the word out that we have really good treatments for anxiety and depression. And it's important that we have those conversations so that people can get the help that they need, whether it's the optimizing aspect 
or, or talking about having that connection or that, that help. Yep. The book is called The Age-Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory, Protect Immunity, and Fight Off Dementia. We've been talking in this hour with the author of that text, internationally renowned uh, brain health expert, Dr. Mark Milstein, about how we improve memory and productivity, how we form healthy habits to supercharge our brains. When we come forward in our remaining moments with him, two questions I want to ask before we let him get away from us. One, I started this conversation by saying that serious mental decline is not an inevitable part of aging. And yet I want to get Dr. Milstein to balance that statement with genetics and whether or not some of us are genetically predisposed to have our brains fail us as we get older. I want to see if there's a connection there. Uh, and, and secondly and finally, I want to ask him what stress does to our brain health, short and long term. Our uh, remaining moments with Dr. Mark Milstein when we come forward on KBLA Talk 1580. The station you turn to when you've had it up to here with cultural incompetence. KBLA Talk 1580. Interrogating your assumptions and expanding your inventory of ideas. Let's get back to Tavis Smiley on KBLA Talk 1580. I see a lot of your comments, which I had time to read them on the air. I do not, but thank you for listening, engaging uh, in this conversation with Dr. Mark Milstein. And uh, I'm always fascinated to see uh, the comments made by our listeners about our guests. So thank you, Dr. Milstein. Three minutes left in this conversation. Two questions in that three minutes. One, as I said a moment ago, I started this conversation by suggesting, as you have in your text, that serious mental decline is not an inevitable part of aging. And yet, can you balance that with me vis-a-vis uh, uh, -vis the issue of genetics? Yeah, definitely. So this is where we're seeing a lot of hope. Genes do play a role. They can raise or lower risk of things like Alzheimer's. But in 95 to 99% of all cases, it's not just genes. We're realizing it's our lifestyle. It's the things that we're doing, these little things we've been doing. They can really play a role in bringing that risk down. So for the vast majority of the population, what we're realizing is that genes aren't destiny. Uh, we're not doomed to lose our memory in, in almost all cases. And so that, that really gives us these insights that these, these lifestyle things, these little things have that powerful impact to bring risks back down. So you have no problem uh, condoning the following statement that every one of us can, in fact, boost our short and long term brain health. I mean, there is that one one to five percent where there there's these tragic cases sure, sure, called sure. early onset Alzheimer's. Mm -hmm. But for the, and we need more research there and we, we need more understanding and more treatments. But. For the rest of the population, what we're seeing is this big step forward that we're seeing that there's things that we can do to absolutely bring our risk down. And finally, on the issue of stress, I'm asking this uh, <laughs> for personal reasons. <laughs> what, yeah. what, what does stress do to our brains? So here's a surprise. Stress in a moment, in a burst, is really good for your brain. Mm -hmm. Your you don't drive it and you leave it in the garage, it falls apart. And so stress is that cortisol, that stress hormone, a moment of stress, a burst of stress, something you want to get done, a challenge you want to tackle. It's really good for your brain. We want to be engaged. We want to get things done. We want to want to be in the game. Mm -hmm. But if the stress is too much and too often, that's when to our So we just really are saying we want to embrace some stress. We just want to take a break from it. And in our world, that can be hard to do. So just thinking about things like that's where mindfulness has become mainstream medicine, taking a break, but also just getting a little bit of nature. There's these really interesting studies that if you're looking for something super simple, getting outside in some nature, a local park, a backyard, some flowers for 10 minutes, stress levels drop. So we want to have some stress. We just want to take a break from it. Even simpler, they did a study in Japan that if people just stared at a plant on their desk for two minutes, <laughs> their stress levels came down. So gardening, nature, it's not the only answer. It's not the only solution, but we're always looking for little things that it can have a big. 
This idea of nature being nurturing and any way that we can get a little bit of nature in our day can help bring stress levels down in a highly stressful environment. I do this every day because I want to give you information that can help you live better lives and make better choices. And there's no hour. Uh, that's better than this in terms of giving you information that can not just improve your life, but indeed save your life and boost your short and long-term brain health and significantly lower the risk of dementia and all the likes if you start taking these steps right now. As he said, little things that can have a huge impact. His name is Dr. Mark Milstein. His book is called The Age-Proof Brain, New Strategies to Improve Memory, Protect Immunity, and Fight Off Dementia. What a great conversation, Dr. Milstein. Thank you for your work, your research, and good to have you on this program. Thank you. Great talking to you. I really appreciate it. I appreciate it as well. Thank you for your time, sir. That is our program for today. Back here tomorrow morning to do it all over again. Lord willing, 9 a.m. to 12 noon Pacific time. Until then, thanks for tuning in. And as always, keep the faith.